In 2008, our middle son, Andrew, moved out and went to college. Yay! <laughs> and that left our baby, Rachel, to finally get to experience being an only child. And she was ecstatic. Immediately, shave cream and razors on the bathroom counter were replaced by multiple curling irons. Then Rachel began to sleep in Andrew's room so that she could keep her clean clothes piled on the bed in her room. And then within a week, Rachel was studying and keeping her books in her older brother Joshua's room, sleeping and hanging out in Andrew's room, and basically using her room as one huge dressing room. Imagine her dismay when Andrew made his first trip home from college bringing a girlfriend. You've got to be kidding, she said to me when I casually mentioned that we actually needed all three rooms and all three beds ready. Mom, she said, this won't work. There just isn't room in this house for all of us anymore. <laughs> there just isn't room in this house for all of us anymore. For four weeks now, we have concentrated on that beloved parable in Luke 15 about a father and his two sons. Rembrandt's picture on the front of your bulletin captures a beautiful moment of grace, right? The father's youngest son has returned, and it's time to party. The kingdom of God arrives, and everyone can witness the forgiveness and the fresh start that it brings. The father opens his arms wide in total acceptance, in overflowing grace. It's a beautiful picture right? But as you know, that's not the end of the parable. Cheryl read the end of the parable for us this morning. Now, the parable continues because this overjoyed father, this extravagantly gracious, forgiving, redeeming, prodigal-hugging father has two sons. And Rembrandt captures the older brother in his famous picture as well. Here we get another picture, another snapshot, and this one isn't so beautiful. It's not touching or inspiring. You can see it on your bulletin if you'll look closely. If you'll look at Rembrandt's painting and turn your eyes away from the lavish love of a father for a moment and focus instead on the older son. He's on the far right. You see it? Do you see his harsh, angry look? Do you see his body language, feet planted firmly in the ground and arms crossed over his chest? Do you see the way he is shrinking from the light that emanates from the Father's love? The bottom line, well, as you know, he won't go to the party. He won't celebrate. He cannot forget the offensive, selfish behavior of his younger brother. And what's worse, he truly believes that his compliant, dutiful behavior has been dishonored or unappreciated by his father. He will not enter the house. Father, there isn't room enough in your house for that prodigal son of yours and for me. No way. There isn't room enough in your house for us both. 
So he stands on the porch, red-faced and belligerent, convinced of his goodness, comfortable in his indignation. It's not a pretty portrait, is it? But stay with me and look closely because Jesus gives us this picture, this snapshot for a reason. Because just like that older brother, you and I face moments of decision all the time. And our decisions matter in the kingdom of God. They matter in our families, in our workplace, in our relationships. It's in places like this that we must decide, is there room enough to spare? Is there love enough? Is there forgiveness enough? Is there energy enough? Is this house we have made of our life large enough to let others in? Is it large enough to grow, to make room for God to do new things? And is God's house, God's grace, large enough, roomy enough for the incomprehensible, for the unforgivable, for the pain we have inflicted and the pain we have incurred? Jesus taught of the danger danger for our souls and for the kingdom when we shrink God's mercy to a manageable size. Listen to Jesus' teaching from the 18th chapter of Luke. Two men went up to the temple to pray, said Jesus, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. The Pharisee, self-righteous and arrogant, sure of himself and sure of God, this character presumes to know the parameters of the kingdom of God. Tax collector, he prays with a broken heart and he presumes nothing, nothing. Jesus says that it's the tax collector, the broken one, the one with room in his heart and spirit for the mercy of God, that's the one that goes home part of God's kingdom, while the Pharisee, like the older brother, remains on the porch looking in. There is room to spare, Jesus taught. There is room to spare in God's love, in God's mercy, in God's forgiveness. There is room to spare in God's plans for a future and a hope. There is room to spare for foreigners, like Samaritans and Syrophoenicians. There's room to spare for the sick and the lost, for the sinner and the outcast, for the poor and the needy. Again and again, Jesus shows us and teaches us that the kingdom of God has room to spare. Compassion and power beyond our imagination. In fact, I believe I can make the case that the only thing God doesn't have room for is a smug, arrogant, self-satisfied spirit, a spirit that lacks room for others and for God. Friends, ultimately, each of us must decide, is there room enough? Is there room enough for God's kingdom in our lives, in our home, in our relationship? Is there room enough in our hearts and spirits to allow God to to take us and, and form us and shape us?
And ultimately, Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church must decide, is there room enough in this place for God to be in charge, for God to lead us forward? Now think before you answer that question. Count the cost before you respond, because I promise you, whatever our definition of in and out might be, God will challenge it. Whatever boundaries we deem immovable and sacred, God will transgress them. Whatever limits we place on forgiveness or mercy or love, God will push them. And whenever we say to one another or to God, there just isn't room for this or for that or for them, God says, it's my house, it's my call, it's my kingdom, and I say, there is room to spare. Almost 17 years ago now, hard to imagine, I was asked by my presbytery to do something incredibly unusual. I was new to the presbytery, had no church of my own, but was an experienced senior pastor. And in the presbytery, a large church, as large as Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church, had just had the unimaginable happen. The 2,000-member church had just had 1,000 of their members, their entire staff, and their entire session leave the church and decide to start a new church right down the road. I arrived five days later to step up into their pulpit and I ended up spending about six months with those wonderful people as they sorted out their situation and took their first steps forward. And let me tell you, that faithful remnant, those thousand members who a few weeks earlier had been part of a 2,000-member church, they had a few feelings about the people who had left them, right? They had a few feelings about being left with no staff, with no session, with no bank account and with a $6 million mortgage. So you can imagine the dilemma when a much-beloved elderly woman who was a charter member of the church, whose family had been instrumental in funding and leading the group to start the new church, you can imagine the dilemma when word came that she had died. And the new church, it had no building. It had no place to hold her funeral. Oh, my. Well, as you would expect, many members felt that we simply had to open the building to them. We had to open the building for her family, and we had to host the funeral. But there were charges that had been brought against the pastors, which meant they couldn't step foot in the church. And then, of course, there were a few vocal members who just couldn't imagine letting those betrayers and thieves back into God's house. What to do? Well, it was difficult. It was painful. It was stressful. And ultimately, let me tell you, it was healing and holy. When that congregation gathered for one last time together under one roof to give thanks for the life of a dear saint of God, the offending pastors stayed in the parking lot greeted people as they came in and, and gave pastoral care to the family, 
A retired associate pastor that everyone knew and loved and trusted then took the family and escorted them into the sanctuary, leaving those pastors and the funeral directors with the hearse. And in the middle of this mess and brokenness, we worshiped God together. We handed the whole situation and that dear woman into God's roomy and loving arms. And guess what? It turned out on that day there was room to spare in the kingdom of God, and we were together. Friends, there's always room to spare in God's kingdom. That's the profound lesson of this parable. Room enough for runaways and selfish wastrels, room enough for bitter, unforgiving people, room enough for you and for me. Henry Nouwen, the Dutch Catholic priest and author, actually spent years studying this parable. And he spent years studying that painting, that Rembrandt painting on your bulletin. He wrote in his book, The Return of the Prodigal, that he saw himself in the younger brother in this painting, that we all see ourselves there because we all long for that wonderful embrace coming home to God. And he wrote that he saw himself as the older brother in the painting, knowing that he was often filled with resentment and bitterness and that that separated him from the love of God in Jesus Christ, and we know that too. But at a particularly difficult, painful place in his life, a fellow Christian challenged him, saying, Henry, you're always talking about yourself being the prodigal son, and you've often talked about yourself being the elder son, but now it's time for you to become the father. That's who you're called to be. That simple challenge changed Henry's life. He wrote, I now stand in awe at the place I have been brought. I've been led from the kneeling, disheveled young son to the standing, bent-over old father. I've been led from the place of being blessed to the place of blessing. As I look at my own aging hands, I know that they have been given to me to stretch out toward all who suffer, to rest on the shoulders of all who come, and to offer the blessing that emerges from the immensity of God's love. We are at our best when we become places of blessing, when our arms and our hands stretch out in love, and when they make room. And our church is at her best when she's a place of blessing, when she makes room for those in need. Historically, one of the ways that Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church has done that was by participating in the Interfaith Hospitality Network, where we quite literally made room many times a year for homeless families to stay in our building. It wasn't easy. It took a lot of love, a lot of volunteer effort. And this morning, as our ministry with the Interfaith Hospitality Network comes to an end, we want to take a moment. We want to recognize that ministry, and we want to recognize one of our fearless leaders, Ann Kincannon, who led that ministry for so long. So I've invited Tim Patterson, one of the moderators of our mission committee, to come and say a few words. Good morning. We're here this morning to praise all the church members who have dutifully served the Interfaith Hospitality Network. Uh, especially Ann Kincannon, who's been our fearless leader over the past few years. She's given up her time, her money, and her love 
to those families in need looking for safe haven. The love for the homeless dates back to the 80s when the West Bank Women's Bible Study took donuts downtown to those in need. And then we opened our doors up on Tuesday mornings and we fed them breakfast. We offered showers. We offered medical assistance to those who in need. You can see this church loves taking care of people. And we couldn't do it without Anne's direction. She made sure that there were meals every night while they stayed here. She transformed our preschool uh, classrooms into bedrooms, made sure that we had all the materials for that, made sure that people in this church spent the night to act as hosts to those families. So Anne, it's our deepest gratitude for your leadership. Um, we're presenting you with a a cross that Charlie Bush made for us and uh, has some deep appreciation to you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ann and Tim. Thank you so much. Okay. I would, I would just like to say, I was only one of many that worked on that mission and helped it make it success. And I would last ask anybody that has ever helped with IHN, if you would please stand up. Let's see who has helped. It takes a This village. is why that mission was a success. Thank you. You know, this is really a great example of a church having enough room, room to spare for all God's children. And I know God will continue to lead this congregation to make room for those in need in new ways as we move forward. Well, it's time to bring this parable to an end. It has been four weeks after all. But as we bring it to an end, I want to look at one last picture. It's the final scene of the parable, and it is not included in Rembrandt's painting. But it's the portrait that Jesus paints last. In the closing scene of the parable, the father approaches his dutiful older son. He pleads with him. He cajoles him. He invites him. We have to celebrate and rejoice, he says. Your brother was lost. He was dead. Now he's found and he's alive. Come, son, celebrate with me. This is good news. Can't you feel it? Can't you hear it? Won't you be a part of it? Won't you recognize there's room to spare in my house? Won't you recognize that there's room to spare in my house? The question still lingers. And I want you to notice that the story has no ending. Perhaps the older brother never entered the party, never spoke to his father or brother again. Perhaps his self-righteous heart never grew enough, expanded enough to participate in the mercy of the father's house. How sad would that be? And perhaps the younger brother, the prodigal, really never admitted his selfish, hurtful behavior. 
Maybe he never told the truth to himself or to others. Maybe he didn't change his ways, but continued to take advantage of the love and acceptance of the Father's house. How tragic would that be? But maybe, just maybe, the Father's love pierced them both, challenged them both, stretched them both. Maybe, just maybe, the Father's mercy created room in their lives and hearts to see their sin, to ask for forgiveness, and to celebrate, to celebrate their Father's house where there is room to spare. We'll never know for sure. Jesus leaves the ending open. It's open for each of us, and it's open for Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church. Our story still unfolds, and God's invitation still stands wide open. May we be stretched, may we be challenged, pierced even if necessary, until there's room to spare for all God's plans for us and for this special church. And let all God's people say, Amen.